Lastly, we have a special guest with us here this weekend for some of you. He's a familiar face. For some of you, he might be new. Rich Schonert, who has been a part of our church body during our interim period in 2018. Uh, it was about 18 months. He and Dave Miles kind of carried us through that phase. He is from White Bear Township, and he has been married to his wife, Valerie, and they have three kids, nine grandkids. He's been a senior pastor for 43 years, retired retired in 2012, <laughs> and been doing a lot of things since then. So please welcome Rich. Thank you, Becky. It's a joy for me to be back and really an honor. I continue to follow the story of your church online through e-news, uh, how else, social media, all kinds of ways. It's exciting to see what God is doing in the midst of your church. So it's a pleasure to be here uh, this weekend. If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your device, let me invite you to turn to our passage we're going to look at tonight in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be examining verses 3 through 11. And the question I want to try to answer tonight is this. Why does God allow us to go through painful experiences? I think it's got to be one of the most challenging, difficult questions we could ever consider. Why was my child born with a disability? Why didn't God save my marriage? Why is it that I'm living with chronic pain? Why is it that the life of my best friend was taken at such an early age? Why? If we live long enough, all of us will experience tragedies and losses. And so we need to learn what God wants to say to us in terms of how we cope when we go through difficult seasons. And to find out, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight out of respect for the Bible. Let's stand together, if you can, and give our attention to the reading of God's truth recorded here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 3 down through verse 11. Let's hear God's word. Thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Here ends the reading of God's truth. You may be seated. Now, this passage is not going to answer all of our why questions. No portion of the Bible does. God does not tell us specifically in each and every situation why he allows certain difficulties and problems to come our way. But this is a passage that can begin to give us some hope, some healing, and a Godward perspective as to how to deal with such difficulties when they do come our way. And clearly, this is the subject of this passage, because that which triggers this outburst of praise on the part of the Apostle Paul in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, is that Paul and his companion Timothy had experienced God's comfort in the midst of their own difficulties. And so he ends verse 4 by saying that God comforts us in all our troubles. In an earlier letter, Paul had indicated his desire to come and visit this church that he had at one point established. He wanted to come back and visit and find out how things were going. But he didn't show up. And as a result, some in the congregation began to listen to local Christian gossip that he really didn't want to come. And they were even beginning to question Paul's authority as an apostle. So he here tells us one reason why he wasn't able to come. He said, we experienced such difficulties in the province of Asia, he says that we despaired of life itself. But he proceeds to tell us how God used that particular issue and experience in his own life and how he reacted to it. And so as we look at Paul's reaction, we're really considering how God wants us to react in the face of our own challenging times. So consider these verses, God's personal letter to you who hurt. And if you're not hurting tonight, consider this preparation for the inevitable challenges of life that are going to come your way at some point in the future. Now, I want you to notice the word troubles. It's found several times in this passage of scripture, although your translation may have affliction or tribulation, but basically the word means inward distress that's brought about by external circumstances. Maybe in the area of your health, could be job related, maybe in the area of some relational issue that's going on in your life, but you are experiencing all of this inward distress because of some external factors that are going on in your life. And the question is, again, why does God allow us to go through such painful experiences? Well, before we look at the answers that are given to us in this passage, I want to draw your attention to two basic principles about this matter of troubles to keep in mind, not only tonight, but I trust well into the future. Here's the first. Trouble is something that we all experience, Christians, non-Christians, 
because we live in a fallen world. Friends, this is not heaven. Life doesn't have a fairy tale ending. Everything in, the, in this world is broken. The best of marriages, broken. The best of organizations and churches, broken. The best of pastors, broken. We're all broken people. And so we shouldn't be surprised when difficulties come our way because we live in a broken world. Jesus wanted to prepare his own disciples for the inevitable in their own lives. And so he gathers them in an upper room just hours before he was to be arrested and crucified. And in John 16, verse 33, he gives them this message. In this world, you will have and he uses the exact same word as we have in our text, trouble. We will have inward distress brought about by external circumstances. So that's the first thing I want us to remember. Trouble is something we all experience because we live in a broken world. The second one is this. Such troubles can either crush us spiritually or become opportunities for significant spiritual growth. Rarely do we go through a difficult season where we remain neutral to God or the way we were before we entered that season. We either are drawn away from God in bitterness and in anger, or we're drawn toward him in new and fresh ways. And again, Jesus draws this to our attention in a story recorded in Matthew chapter 13. He tells about this farmer who decided he was going to go scatter some seed. And wouldn't you know it, the seed landed on different kinds of soil in terms of quality, some of it on rocky soil. And giving us an interpretation, Jesus says this in Matthew 13. These are the people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble, same word as in our text, or persecution comes because of the word, what happens? They quickly fall away. So here are people who initially seem to be responding to the gospel in, in a measure of faith. They receive it with joy, but it doesn't take root in their hearts and lives. So when trouble comes their way, what happens? Well, Jesus says they quickly fall away. Troubles can crush us spiritually. The opposite of that is that they become opportunities for significant spiritual growth. And the psalmist draws that to our attention in Psalm 119 when he writes, my suffering was good for me. Now, I'm glad he didn't stop there or we would have questioned his sanity. Suffering was good, are you kidding me? My suffering was good for me, why? Because it taught me to pay attention, God, to your decrees. It got my attention. And I want to express my love and my joy in what you've done for me by honoring and paying attention to your decrees, your commands. So let's bring this together. In light of the fact that trouble is something that we all experience because we live in a broken world, and such trouble can either become crushing experiences or opportunities for significant spiritual growth, how is it that we're supposed to cope? What are we supposed to do in terms of a response? Well, here in this passage we're looking at today, we're told that we need to respond by recognizing the five purposes that troubles can accomplish. What are they? 
Why does God allow us to go through painful experiences? Reason number one, troubles can help us to come to know God better. So why does God allow miscarriages? Why does God allow some couples to struggle with the pain of infertility? Why divorce? Why car accidents? Why cancer? Why COVID? Why? One of the reasons for believers is that troubles can help us to come to know God better. Now, where in this passage that I've read to you is this principle brought to our attention? In verses 3 and 4, there the Apostle Paul draws our attention to three titles or names of God. He says, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first title. The Father of Compassion, the second. And then he describes him as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Now let's come back to the first of these titles. How did Paul come to know God as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ? You may know the story that Paul hated Jesus, didn't want anything to do with Jesus, probably was involved, according to scholars, in the execution of the first Christian martyr, a man by the name of Stephen. He was attempting to arrest other believers to persecute them when Jesus, in a post-resurrection appearance, revealed himself to Paul, knocked him off his horse, temporarily blinded him to get his attention, and Paul the, becomes the, the great apostle. His heart is completely transformed. He places his faith and confidence in this one that he previously hated, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. So in answer to the question, how did Paul come to know Jesus, God as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is through personal experience. Personal experience in this case of salvation. Okay, let's go on. Second title is that God is described as the Father of compassion. Now the word compassion means kindness shown to people in distress. That's compassion. Kindness shown to people in distress. All right, what's the third title? The God of comfort. The word comfort refers to coming alongside someone. In this case, God comes alongside of us in our time of difficulty. And you notice it says that he comforts us not in some of our troubles, but in all our troubles. So each and every inward distress brought about by outward circumstances, every trouble is an occasion for God to step into the picture and minister to that believer. So here's my question. How then does Paul come to know God as the father of compassion and the God of all comfort? Well, um, this, primarily in the same way. Just as he came to know God as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ through personal experience, so Paul came to know God as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort through personal experience, but in this case, of suffering. Just as you and I really do not know God as a saving God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from our personal experience of salvation, entrusting our lives to Jesus, identifying ourselves as his followers, claiming him to be our Savior and Lord, 
So it is that you and I do not come to know God as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort unless we go through experiences where we need his compassion and his comfort. Remember what compassion means? Kindness shown to people in distress. The only people who come to know God's compassion are people who are in distress. What does comfort mean? God coming alongside of us in our time of pain. The only time you're going to experience God's comfort if, is if you are in a time of pain. And God wants us to come to know him as more than a saving God, a God who forgives us of our sin and gives us the hope of heaven when we die. He wants us to come to know him as a God of compassion and a God of all comfort. So if you have ever prayed, Lord, I just want to know more of you in my life, and some difficulty comes your way, then know this. God may be allowing you to go through some difficulty, some intense trouble and conflict, but his purpose is a loving purpose. His purpose is a redemptive healing purpose. That purpose being that we'll come to know him as the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So in answer to our question, why does God allow us to go through painful experiences? The first answer is that such troubles can help us to come to know God in a greater way. Now, the second answer is this. Troubles can prepare us to minister to others. Now, notice what the apostle says in verses 4 and 6. God comforts us in all our troubles so that, here's your purpose, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort. Now, let's say you're going through a divorce. Every moment of every day finds you thinking about this pain that you're enduring, that somebody that you once pledged your life to has walked out on you or hurt you in some very difficult way. If you could talk to anybody about your experience, what it is you're going through, who would that person be? Who would you want to talk to? Let me take a wild guess. I think it would be somebody who has gone through a similar experience who can then understand at least something of what you're going through, who during his or her experience came to know God's compassion and comfort in a new and fresh way. You see, better than anybody else, those of you who have endured a stinging experience during which you came to know God's compassion and comfort, you are among God's choicest teachers and counselors. You see, you don't exist as a Christian for your own sake. God has placed you as a believer in the body of his son, Jesus Christ, that is the church. And his desire in bringing you into a church family is that you, among other things, might minister his comforting presence to others in the midst of their challenges. So God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable God comforts us to turn us into comforters of other people. I think of the ministries of 
two rather outstanding Christian leaders, Johnny Erickson Tata and uh, John Baker. Johnny Erickson Tata, 17 years of age, vivacious, fun-loving, very athletic, very popular, goes swimming with some of her friends, dives off this platform, breaks her neck, is paralyzed instantly from the neck down, unable to even swim to bring herself into safety. Fortunately, others were there to assist her or she would have drowned. And essentially from that moment on, confined to a wheelchair, goes through a time of deep depression, suicidal, but God reveals himself to her in a new and fresh way. And she becomes concerned about the possibility of ministering to others who have been wounded as well. And so she teaches herself how to paint by putting a brush in her teeth. She writes books. She becomes a national conference speaker, starts an international ministry by the name of Johnny and Friends to minister to others going through various kinds of disabilities, particularly those in third world countries. There would be no Johnny and Friends or any of the other ministries if God hadn't permitted her to go through that very dark season. How about uh, John Baker? Back in the early 90s, John would have described himself as a functioning alcoholic, but he really wasn't functioning too well. At that point, he was separated from his wife and his kids, and he was about to lose his job. It was then that he gets a call from one of his kids. Dad, uh, we're going to church tomorrow. Want to come? Uh, yeah, I guess so. He goes to church and hears about Jesus, who can forgive him of all of his brokenness, begin the process, the journey of repairing his life, places his faith and confidence in Christ, is radically transformed, begins to go to AA meetings to deal with his addiction, to counselors, to rebuild his marriage. A year later, he writes a 13-page, single-spaced letter to his pastor, imploring his pastor to start a recovery program for others in their community that are dealing with various kinds of addictions. Pastor thinks about it and comes back and says, John, great idea. Go do it. And so John starts a ministry known as Celebrate Recovery. Today, it is the largest Christian-based. He wanted a ministry that would be more Christ-centered than AA was able to give him. And so he starts Celebrate Recovery, the largest Christian-based recovery program in the world. It's in 35,000 churches. It's in literally hundreds of state and federal penitentiaries. Seven million individuals have completed the program because John wanted to minister to people through his own brokenness. So who might find God as a result of your suffering? Your ministry may not be international in scope. Could very well be that God wants to use your difficulty, your brokenness, your trouble to minister to just one individual. Maybe it's a member of your family, one of your kids or your spouse 
a parent, colleague at work, somebody on your sports team, but God wants to use that difficulty in your life. So if you've ever asked the question, Lord, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Maybe this is the perspective that you need. Maybe God is preparing you to minister to the needs of others by first bringing you through a major crisis. So in answer to our question, why does God permit us to go through painful experiences? If the first answer is that troubles can help us to come to know God better, a second is that they can prepare us to minister to others. Now here's the third. Troubles can help us to rely on the power of God. Notice now what Paul says in verses eight and nine. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that. So here's your purpose. We might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see the principle? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Troubles can help us to rely on the power of God. Evidently, the Apostle Paul had a problem with pride. He was rather self-confident, self-reliant, and so God brought a difficulty into this man's life. He doesn't tell us exactly what it was. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he identifies it by saying it was his thorn in the flesh. Now, I'm glad he doesn't tell us what it was. I mean, if Paul had said, well, I picked up malaria in one of my ministry travels, and we're not dealing with malaria, you know, we'd say, well, that's his issue. That's not mine, you know. But because he doesn't tell us, we can all relate to what he says. And this is what he says in verses 8 and 9 of that chapter. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that. My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. If the great apostle Paul needed challenges in order to learn not to rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead, who am I, or who are you to think that we don't need such challenges in our own lives? So God allows difficulties to come our way that we might learn not to rely on ourselves, but on him and on his power. Now, sometimes this is true in the area of finances. You know, most of us are doing okay financially. We may routinely pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. But you know, when you've got a freezer full of it, and you've got a good paying job and good stock options and everything is looking pretty good, you know, it's all rather mechanical. But then you're called into the CEO's office and you're told, sorry, we're downsizing and we're cutting your position. You dip into your savings and before you know it, they're largely depleted too. That's when you learn in a new and fresh way what it means to rely not on yourself, but on God who raises the dead, on the power of God. At other times, it could be true in the area of health. 
Most of us are pretty healthy. Our kids are, praise God, fairly healthy. And so we routinely ask him to care for us and our kids to protect us, get us through another day. But again, it's all rather mechanical until you find out that your loved one is now in the ER and they don't know if he or she's going to make it. Or you're diagnosed with the cancer. Maybe it's a health problem that stretches over the years. I think of the story of William Cooper, who battled severe depression every single day of his adult life. Fortunately for Cooper, God brought a friend into his life by the name of John Newton, the same John Newton who wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound to Save the Wretch Like Me. Newton spent time with this man every single day for 12 years. And it was Newton that suggested that uh, Cooper might be helped by writing poetry and putting his poems to music, writing songs. He wrote 68 some of which continue to be sung in churches that are a bit more traditional in their style and preference of worship. Like, there's a fountain filled with blood, a song about the cross. Oh, for a closer walk with thee. But in the last song that he ever wrote, sensing the storm cloud of depression coming on him again, he wrote these words. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And maybe you thought that statement came from the Bible. It really doesn't. It's from this song written by William Cooper. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Yeah, even the storm of my depression. He goes on to say, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessing on your head. So judge not the world by, Lord, rather by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. So Cooper needed to learn the lesson that some of us need to learn, and that is the importance of relying on the power of God to get us through one day at a time. So I don't know why specifically God allows certain tragedies to come our way. But I do know that he wants to use them to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but rather on him. And I'm just wondering if you're learning that lesson. Well, the fourth purpose is stated in the next verse. Let me give you the verse and then the principle. He has delivered us from mortal danger, and we are confident that he will continue to deliver us again. Now, notice the statement. Paul begins by sharing a time in the past when God brought deliverance, past tense, has delivered. And then he speaks of the future with a great deal of confidence. He will continue to deliver us again. Now, what is the basis of Paul's confidence? How could he, he, how could he know this? Well, it brings us to our fourth principle, and that is that troubles can increase our faith in the promises of God. Back when Paul was called to be an apostle, God gave him a tremendous promise. Here it is recorded in Acts chapter 26. God said, I will rescue you from your own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles. 
I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Paul, you're my man. I'm commissioning to you to go and tell the story about my son, Jesus. But as you do and offer reconciliation with me, offer forgiveness, offer hope, offer a purpose in life. Some of these people are not going to like your message, Paul. They're going to turn against you and make life very difficult for you. But I want you to know, I will rescue you again and again until my purposes for you have been accomplished. And so as Paul experienced shipwrecks and stonings and beatings and plots against his life, God delivered him each and every time. And as a result, troubles increased his faith in the promise of God. Troubles can do the same for us. They can also increase our faith in God's promises. You see, faith does not get strengthened by coming to church. Faith does not get strengthened by listening attentively to sermons. It doesn't get strengthened by memorizing Bible verses or going being part of a small group or listening to Christian podcasts. No, these things are helpful to give us information and to remind us in some occasions of the things of God. That's what they do. Faith gets strengthened when that Bible verse you've memorized or that statement made by Pastor Darrell in one of his sermons or something shared in a song sung at church goes with you and gets applied to that particular situation of difficulties. So here you are dealing with anxiety. And you remember, oh yeah, there's that Bible verse. What is it? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious by anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Got it, Lord. Thank you. Or you're in a situation where you've come to a fork in, in, in the road of life. You don't know whether to go to this university or take that program. You don't know whether to move out of state with a new job offer or stay where you are. What do you do? And you're reminded of the promise in, Philipp in Proverbs, rather, chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, your steps. And so as you do this, you're able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, with new confidence, he did deliver me, and I'm confident he will continue to deliver me. Again, it's pretty easy for us to pray, Lord, increase my faith. But how exactly is he going to do that? Well, it's often through a painful experience that our faith in God's promise is strengthened. Okay, one more, the fifth. Troubles can encourage others in prayer and praise. Paul now says this of God in verse 11. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So that's the prayer part of this principle. Troubles can encourage others in prayer. Then many will give thanks on our behalf. That's the praise part. For the gracious favor granted us an answer to the prayers of many. Some Christian is facing surgery, or maybe uh, they're dealing with a, a teenage son or daughter that has 
a drug addiction issue, or maybe it's financial in nature. Whatever it is, they decide to share that in their small group. They say, guys, um, I'm facing this surgery this week and I'm scared. Would you pray for me? Sure, we'll pray for you. And they do that. And when these believers hear that their prayers were answered, it encourages them to pray for others and their difficulties and offer praise to God. Think of the story of a woman who was part of the church I was serving at the time who let us know that her cancer had returned, had spread throughout her body, and the diagnosis wasn't very encouraging. So she was aware of a Bible verse in the New Testament letter of James, chapter 5, that encourages people, or at least invites them, to go to the elders of the church and to request that the elders anoint them with oil as a symbol of God's care and his, his interest, and then to pray for that person's healing. And so this woman reached out to the elders and said, would you come and, and do this for me, as the Bible says. So we did that. A few months later, she sends the elders this note. Thank you, elders, for your prayers on my behalf. I'm now free of cancer. Blessings on you all and glory to God. What do you think the impact of that was on us? Well, I mean, it, it causes us to praise God, certainly, to be thankful to him, but also to pray for others in the midst of their own challenges. I mean, what an opportunity. So these are the five ways that God may want to use the troubles that he sovereignly permits to come our way. Okay. What now are we supposed to do with all of this information? Well, let me close the teaching time tonight by drawing your attention to four action steps that I think can help us to make the most out of our troubles. Number one, express your pain. Express your pain. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's open. He's vulnerable. He uses phrases like, we were distressed. He says, we despaired. He's openly expressing his feelings. A lot of guys don't do that very well, but here's the Apostle Paul modeling what it ought to be. So God wants us to, wants to use our troubles, as we've seen, in all kinds of positive ways, but that doesn't mean, as we continue through the journey, that we're not feeling the pain. We're feeling the distress. We're feeling the despair, the sadness, the, the anxiety, the fear, the guilt, or other human emotions. We feel these things. So it doesn't mean that we walk around saying, praise Jesus in the midst of our challenges when we learn of, of some crisis. No, no. When a loved one dies, a loved one, that may be a gut-wrenching experience from which you will never totally get beyond in this life. I mean, it, we can say with the Apostle Paul, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Yeah, we have hope. But every single day, we're reminded that that loved one is no longer there. And so we grieve. We feel the pain of that. And he's saying, express your pain. Share your difficulty with at least one trusted Christian friend. Secondly, submit your troubles to the Lord. Saying, Lord, 
If I can experience your compassion and your comfort, if I can learn to rely on your power and trust in your promises, and if you can use this to minister in positive ways in the lives of others, then Lord, I submit. Now, if we don't submit, what's the alternative? We end up fighting God and we become bitter, angry individuals. And more than likely, we will take out that anger on those who are the closest to us, namely members of our own family. So you have a choice. You can say, Lord, this hurts. I didn't want this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I choose to believe that you're going to use this for your glory. So I submit. It's either that or you become filled with feelings of bitterness and resentment. Those are the options. So I'm encouraging you to respond by submitting your troubles to the Lord. Thirdly, receive help from others. Even the great apostle Paul, you'll notice here, says he refers to your helping us by your prayers. But this goes against our natures, doesn't it? At least for many of us. When we're hurting, when we've had a loss, speaking personally, what I want to do is crawl into a shell of self-pity. I don't want to deal with other people. But that's the very opposite of what should be my reaction. When we're hurting, you know, it's time to let others minister to us, to come alongside of us, to grieve with us, to cry with us, just to be there to listen to us, to care for us. That's one of the reasons why God created the church. This church is to be a family that cares for one another. And that's why you're often encouraged, I'm sure, by Pastor Darrell to get involved in a life group. Why? So that the relational network is in place when the inevitable trials come our way. So that's number three, receive help from others and finally rely on Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse five, our comfort abounds through Christ. Rely on him for stability. You know, the major loss often knocks us off our feet. We need stability. And we get stability by hanging on to somebody stronger than ourselves. And that's Jesus Christ. So if you know the hurt of being betrayed, let me remind you that Jesus was also betrayed for you. If you know what it's like to have somebody that you love walk out on you, well, his disciples walked out on him. If you know what it's like to be broken, Jesus was broken. And so God descends into our pain in the person of Jesus Christ. He's there for us. He's gone through it in a way in which you and I will never have to go through. In terms of his suffering, that we might be forgiven and become his deeply loved children. And so when your world is falling apart, you need Jesus. And let me encourage you to make him each and every day your focus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for grace to accept what we can't change, strength to live each challenging moment for your glory. So help us to trust you without question and to love you. Lord, we thank you for your power, for your promises 
for the support that comes to us through those who have faced similar difficulties and yet who speak of your faithfulness. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who knows all about pain and trouble, suffering and loss. So, Father, help those who are here in this service or online who are hurting today. Help them. Come alongside them. Encourage them. And help us to encourage one another. Use our troubles to remind us of your commitment to sustain us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.